Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go? It's a podcast about stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And I believe I am going first today. Okay. I have a pretty lighthearted topic. It is, uh, where do old golf balls go? Oh, cool. Uh, I was driving past one of the several small golf courses there are in Durham. There are quite a few uh, for a city that's not, it's a medium-sized city. And I was like, what happens to old golf balls? Because I've seen them, one of the one of the phenomenon that uh, are Phenomena? I don't remember which is the plural. Phenomena. There we go. (laughs) One of the ongoing consistent things you will find on empty lots in Durham County, North Carolina are, one, shotgun shells. Yep. Uh, And it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, No. You could be smack in the middle middle of the woods on a, a... an 80 acre parcel and you will find shotgun shells and you will also find golf balls. Uh, I once had my coworker and I were uh, evaluating a lot for a septic system. It was in a neighborhood. It was the last lot to be developed. It was about three acres. Uh, there were houses around the whole thing. So it was a, you know, suburban neighborhood with medium sized lots and we were about a hundred feet apart and he was chatting with the prospective landowners and we were digging holes and then a golf ball nearly knocks him out from falling out of a tree. Oh, <laughs> and we all just stared at it. We couldn't, we couldn't believe it. Where did it come from? <laughs> so, uh, well, this podcast isn't called where did it come from? And I have no idea where that golf ball came from. I wanted to know what happens to golf balls do they just get thrown away do they get reused do they get reused for specific things uh and so in reading about golf balls uh, they ha- technically have a shelf life yes they do and yeah. it depends on the type of golf ball uh some of the higher end ones actually have a slightly shorter shelf life because their innards are a wrapped uh sort of I think it's like a rubber band like fiber. It is. It's like basically a, ru- a fancy rubber band ball with a shell around it. There you go. And those are sort of a <laughs> higher end golf ball uh, in terms of how far they go and how well you can play with them, I guess. I'm not much of a golfer. But uh, so they have a shorter shelf life because the winding can come undone and they can become sort of less responsive to your playing. And then there are solid core golf balls, and there are some really fancy ones that sort of defy my lay explanation. But the lifespan is pretty, it can be pretty long. It can be 10 years or more. And uh, there are people that will buy used golf balls, particularly for using in, say, a driving range situation, or if you're just going to golf every Sunday. Why not buy some used balls? They'll be less expensive. And if you lose them, oh well. So there are several websites. 
uh, golf ball, and we're not affiliated with any of these. I just was looking for them. Golf Ball Planet, Rock Bottom Golf. Let's see, lostgolfballs.com, golfballnut.com. Uh, that sell refurbished balls, and they have grading systems in place for the cosmetic condition, the playability, uh, whether or not they're, they've been factory refinished, etc. A lot of times these companies will, if you're going to sell them golf balls, require that you send, some require lots of 5,000, uh, some require lots of, what was the largest lot? There's like a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand large amounts of golf balls. Uh, so it can be difficult for just you know you or I to come up with five thousand golf balls. So you can also just sell them on say eBay or sell them to a place potentially sell them if if a place like Play It Again Sports would carry them. You can also if you have old golf balls, uh, you can see if driving ranges and golf courses are interested in them. Uh, you can get them sort of a, a I've, I've read that wholesale selling, you can get around six cents a ball, give or take, depending on where you are, who you're providing them to for refurbishment. And then often retail wise, they'll sell for about a dollar a ball. That's a very rough sort of range there. So there's lots of different places that will take old golf balls and then refurbish them and allow them to be used again. There are also options of giving them to school golf clubs or nonprofit sports groups or potentially donating to thrift stores so that people who are maybe not quite as picky about ball performance, like kids learning or people really just trying to have a little fun with some golf uh, can go ahead and have, you know, not create a market for new golf balls and also not uh, have to spend quite as much money. One other thing you can do with them and you can find umpteen options for this on say Pinterest is golf ball crafts and my God, the number of golf ball snowman ornaments people have made. It, <laughs> it's a thing of beauty. Uh, uh -huh. I, am, I am not trying to denigrate crafters in any way because I think it's yeah. great to reuse items. I didn't find any specifically particularly useful golf ball reuse that isn't a craft. And crafts have utility, but they aren't. I couldn't find any indication that golf balls can be, you know, miracles for keeping slugs out of your garden or whatever. Uh, so you can also craft with them. That's a pretty cool reuse for just about anything, as long as something isn't toxic. Now, I've talked about different companies that will refurbish golf balls and sports equipment resellers, selling them yourself on eBay, Craigslist, at garage sales, or giving away used golf balls. But the average Joe, uh, even just scouring their piece of property and finding the three golf balls that are inevitably on every piece of property in the United States, I swear, that's not <laughs> a lot of golf balls. So how do you get a lot of golf balls, Sarah? 
I know, but I'll let you talk about it. <laughs> you become a golf ball diver. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know this was a job. This is an interesting job. It's a lot like a roadkill collector that I just had no idea. Yes, I have a story for you after you're done. Awesome. Because <laughs> it sounds kind of like a fun, you know, second career or whatever. Uh, it's You have to have scuba training and you go scuba diving in water hazards or water features near golf courses and collect the balls. You should get permission to do this. Just I'm just not going to say that. Trespassing is illegal. Uh, courses are not usually required to collect balls. So there's actually an ongoing issue for golf courses near oceans where people just whack golf balls into the ocean and then Golf courses aren't required to collect them or do anything about them. And as the golf balls degrade in water, salt or otherwise, they uh, become sort of microplastics that can become integrated into the fish food chain. And then also there's a fair amount of zinc in golf balls as well, apparently. And it's not great to incorporate a large amount of uh, metal like zinc into the environment all at once in one place. Yeah, I just can in, see that. Just in general, anywhere. Uh, it can happen accidentally through geologic events, but it can also happen intentionally by whacking a bunch of golf balls into the ocean. <laughs> uh, there's a young woman named Alex Weber, who's probably now around 17, she might be 18 or 19, who made it a massive project of hers and a massive goal to pull golf balls from the ocean near, say, Pebble Beach, that whole sort of general area. So she I don't know if she still does it, but for a while she would scuba dive and collect any golf ball she could find, not with the intent of reselling, but just to sort of clean things up. So I wanted to give Alex Weber a little shout out. We'll link yeah, to way to go, Alex. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'll link to the article I found about her. Uh, but like I said, with finances, a lot of whole, uh, people diving for golf balls after they clean them up a little bit, and I'm sure there's a whole process for, you know, soaping up old golf balls or whatever, they can get around six cents a golf ball, which can become fairly lucrative if you are dedicated to the job. It's obviously got hazards, uh, particularly golf balls are heavy. You know, they're small. A single golf ball is small. An entire sack of golf balls can be very heavy, and it's a hazard to lift heavy things, just in general. Please lift with your knees. And then there's also the issue of, in particularly the southeastern United States, but in a lot of places, uh, gators and venomous snakes and snapping turtles being in water hazards. And there have been injuries for golf ball divers, which is a real shame because they're providing a service, but they're also getting, you know, eaten. Uh, I don't know if anybody's died. I hope not. Oh, my I, God. I also hope not. It is possible, uh, but, man, I hope not. I wonder how many golf balls they, they, they pull out of sick gators. I know that's a thing. Like, oh, wow, yeah. Alligators can get sick from eating the golf balls, and I know that turtles will guard golf balls thinking that they're their eggs because they're about the same size. Oh, that's so sad. 
Yeah, they'll actually like lay their eggs near golf balls and hmm. like like dig their. Well, I don't think like they turtles generally just leave their um, eggs. They don't That's really guard them. Yeah, but they'll like lay eggs around where the golf balls are. I guess I don't know. <laughs> That's really kind of cute uh, and sad. So I didn't even look into the environmental impacts of golf balls being swallowed, but it can't be good for animals. And if they look that much like eggs, I'm sure that snakes swallow them. Exactly. I've seen snakes that have swallowed golf balls and I know that they've had to like do surgery on them. The waterfowl rescue here in North Carolina um, have taken snakes that have swallowed golf balls and they uh, have give them surgery and rehab them. But anyway, wow. mention, mention of waterfowl rescue. They're awesome. Anyway, go they ahead. are awesome. I got to make sure we follow them on our social media. because Yeah, I think things. we already are. Cool. Yeah. All right. So that's where old golf balls go. They get eaten or they get recollected or they get crafted or they just end up in the ocean and slowly poison fish. Or Alex, Alex gets them. Or Alex gets them. And because she's amazing. Yeah, I should get in touch with her. She's, you know, a public figure in any way at this point. I can't so imagine. I knew, I oh. knew some of this uh -huh. because um, when I was a teenager, um, one of my brother's really good friends, this was his, like, side gig. Like, this is what he would do That's to make awesome. extra money. Like, he would go out to the golf course with permission, mm -hmm. collect golf balls, fill a cart, and then that's how he made money. Like, he made money to, like, go do stuff because he was a teenager. It, yeah, he would, like, actually go into the water features and pick out the balls because this was in, you know, Illinois, so there's no ocean or anything there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so he would get mucky and gross and go get the golf balls and the, um, the driving range and stuff would give him money for them. Yeah, uh it's an interesting little there are so many little micro economies in this world and jobs that almost nobody knows about yes i love it i love learning about like cool gigs that people have yeah there's uh, more than the ivy league becoming an executive um there's more jobs than that there's actually you a don't great have to be a programmer <laughs> no, you don't. And actually, a lot of the push for uh, increased programmer degrees is so that the market can become saturated and then you don't have to pay programmers as much. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> that's another story for another day. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't remember what I was going to say, so it's not that important. Sorry, I feel like I keep interrupting you, but like... No, you're adding to it. It's perfect. I'm adding. Because I, yes. I didn't look into any of the, oh, how many, you know, what eats these, what acts like these are. I just, you know, the fish with the microplastics was all I had, so. Yeah. Well, I know that snakes um, will get sick because like, they'll think it's an egg mm -hmm. and swallow it. And if um, they can't, obviously, you know how snakes, they will eat the entire egg and then they can get rid of the shell and everything that it absorbs. Well, they can't do that with a golf ball because it's a rubber band ball with a hard shell with a candy coating. So <laughs> they, can't, they can't do that. So they actually need surgery. Yeah. yeah, we had a snake actually eat one of our 
ceramic eggs that we have in our coops and it got away before we could try to get it out of the snake or anything but I, I would bet that snake is no longer with us yeah I doubt it poor snake Mm-hmm. Yeah. It had eaten a lot of our eggs before it ate the fake egg, so, you know. So were you really, like, that sad? I felt a little bad and then forgot about it until right now. Oh. <laughs> I kind of wish that the golf balls would hatch, like, I wish that they would hatch into, like, robot chickens. Oh, that would be really cute. I wish that golf balls were actually just robot chicken eggs or robot well, turtles. I was thinking teeny robot turtles. Yeah. <laughs> teeny, That'd be awesome. Tiny robot teeny turtles. robot turtles that clean up microplastics in the ocean. Mm -hmm. There so we go. So cute. <laughs> there's my, there's my sci-fi addition to the podcast today. Yeah. And I wanted to let you know, because I'm going to start talking about what I, what, I, what I researched a little bit. So if you look up in the sky and you see a shooting star, it might actually be astronaut poop <gasps> reentering the atmosphere. Really? <laughs> yes. It burns up on reentry. <laughs> I, would, I would almost rather see that than a shooting star. <laughs> so if you look up in the sky and you feel hopeful just be like remember that might be astronaut poop <laughs> that would make me even more hopeful yeah I can but that's that. hilarious <laughs> <laughs> so i i decided to do where astronaut waste goes um, yes yes yeah. i'm so excited to hear this <laughs> so um I, it was actually really it seems like nasa didn't really think this out at first um the first missions were only a few hours long so they're like nobody's gonna have to pee or anything when they're in their when they're in this flight it's only a couple hours well these astronauts were you know they were sitting in mission control like waiting to do all the checks and anything for seven hours before the two hour flight. So oh, they hadn't really thought it out. So I guess Alan Shepard has a story where he was like, you know, guys, I really have to pee. <laughs> and it's hard when you're all suited up. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard when you're all suited up and you're in a tin can and there's no bathroom. What do you do? You, you basically just have to pee if you're just going to be, you know, if you're just going to have to pee, that's what you're going to have to do. So, um, the Mercury project, um, Gordon Cooper, um, on his ship, he had to manually reenter the atmosphere. Um, and they, they later found out it was because the pee from his pee collection bag had leaked out and gone into the wiring and caused wiring failures. So they realized they had to think this out just a little bit more. Um, so the earlier long space missions, um, they, they kind of like, okay, everybody poops. That's a given. Mm -hmm. Even though astronauts um, tend to eat a very high protein, um, low density diet, like so they don't poop a lot. Hmm. So, yeah, so it was poop collection was just basically a plastic bag. Um, the Gemini missions, you basically take off all your clothes. You would tape a plastic bag to your butt 
you would do your business and there wasn't much gravity. So um, the reason why poop goes down is because of gravity, right? Yeah. So wouldn't, have, it, wouldn't have thought of that. Yikes. Yeah. So it can get messy. So they, they gave you a little bit of fabric in case you need to do, do a little bit of separation, you know, to get it off your, you know, body, off your person. Um, and then astronauts had to add an antibacterial gel uh -huh. so because they collected the poop in bags and then stored them on the ship. So you wouldn't want to, you know, because there's a lot of bacteria in your poop. So they don't want the bags to get really bloated yeah. and explode. <gasps> so you don't want to have a poop explosion on board your spaceship. That would be terrible. I mean, I don't. I certainly don't either, and I don't think they did either. I think yeah. that was like, that was, sounds horrible to be stuck in space in a tin can full of poop. <laughs> <laughs> that would be horrible. I've been trying so hard not to giggle, but oh man, that would be bad. Go ahead, giggle. It's like, it's a totally human thing. Mm -hmm. um, we have to, it's a thing we have to figure out. Everybody poops. And if you don't poop, it's, it's kind of serious. Yeah, it is. So for the Apollo missions, they figured out um, on spacewalks, particularly on the moonwalk, um, since you can't take your spacesuit off when you're out in space, astronauts actually wear diapers designed by NASA, you know, just in case you have to pee when you're spacewalking. Uh -huh. And I'm a nervous peer, so I totally get that. I would be nervous walking on the moon. I'd be like, man, I got to pee. Oh, I, that was my first thought of, you know, early astronauts sitting in their spaceship hoping that they don't get blown to bits of course you have to pee yeah i'm a totally a nervous peer like i would pee right before i put my spacesuit on as soon as i have my spacesuit on i'd be like ah oh, shoot i gotta pee again <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah they wear diapers for um spacewalks and then after the um gordon cooper thing this pee collection is through a, a tube so you'd put the tube over your business and then you would pee and you turn a valve and it would vent out into space so mm -hmm. i would i heard like i i read a couple of asides that said like they decided to stop doing that because frozen pee particles were like out in space messing with um the solar panels because there are like shards of pee out there, but I saw that was for the mirror, the Russian mirror space station. Um, and I didn't read it anywhere else. So I don't know what the deal is with that. But with the newer space shuttle missions, including the ISS, they have really fancy bathrooms, like really. And they are apparently challenging to use. Like you have to actually be trained how to use this toilet. Like they have a whole training toilet at NASA that you have to learn how to use. You have to like, there's a training toilet where you have to like learn how to position your butt right so that the suction is correct because it's all by suction. You have no gravity. Mm -hmm. So the suction helps get everything out. So then your poop like is sucked out and it goes through a tube and the tube goes into, into a bag. And then the bag is collected and then it's, um, you know, basically deposited off the space station. So 
That's where shooting stars come from. <laughs> the P collection is actually through a um, tube and you get your own funnel and you pee into the funnel. And then um, the P actually on ISS, P, gray water, and sweat um, are all um, distilled. So they got this cool like gravity distill kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then filtered, and they use it for drinking and, and showering again. So they reclaim all the pee, the gray water, and the sweat on the ISS. I was kind of hoping, I was going to ask about that. I was hoping they'd do that because it is very practical. Yes. So the, um, the water used to come up in bags when the station was um, restocked. Um, and so it, you can imagine that's a ton of weight. So when they started doing that, um, it actually saved a ton of weight for the missions. And they actually um, reclaim 93% of the water that is expelled. And uh, Chris Hadfield, who is a Canadian astronaut who's been up on the ISS, has said that the water is actually purer than the water that we would drink on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's distilled, it's steam distilled, and then it is filtered again. So, yeah. I thought that was cool as well. Mm-hmm. And then, so I started wondering, like, so you're, you're um, a woman with a uterus, a woman with a uterus that menstruates, what happens? Like, you know, that's a, that's a reality. Yeah. It happens. So I didn't find too much on that. And I found some stuff that was like, NASA never really thought of that. Like, they, they thought well, they of it didn't even the- think about their astronauts peeing. <laughs> so um, I guess Sally Ride, and then this this was another little comment. Sally Ride kind of brought up the like, well, what about what about tampons in space? Like, and they they thought like she needed like she was going on this week long mission or something, and they thought she needed. They they were asking her how many was enough. And they're like, do you think a hundred is enough? And she's like, dude, it would, you could use like 50 and that would be like enough for it's like three months yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least, I don't know if you've been reading, but there was this viral story that was shared around about a guy who did like, and I'm making air quotes, tampon math, who decided that women only need seven tampons per period and only have nine periods a year and so he did he was like so it should only cost you x amount and everyone is like what what are you talking about every woman is different and every period is different you're a dumbass if you think that yeah <laughs> Sorry. well and then so at least nasa was like if we give you an entire uh, department uh, pharmacy's worth is that enough for a week so at least they went in that direction yeah. So um, I read, and it sounds like most um, most female astronauts actually decide to not have their periods. They use period suppression, where mm-hmm. they take um, continuous birth control, or they use some kind of birth control that is, you know, stops your period, like Depo-Provera, or you know, the implant or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be the most common, but a store, another um, comment for NASA was like, yeah, it's not a problem. Um, if she decides she wants to menstruate in, in space, it's not a big deal. There are ways to collect, you know, the stuff. There's ways to collect the, the tampons or the pads or whatever she's using, and that's fine. They were originally worried about um, 
the effect of microgravity on your menstrual cycle. And it seems like no matter what, you're going to menstruate if, if you choose to do so, um, if you don't um, suppress your period with with hormones and they've actually they're actually theorizing that um if you're on hormonal birth control that is continuous the estrogen is actually better for your bone density oh. if you're up in space for a long period of time which i found really interesting that is an interesting way to combat that sort of jelly legs from space issue yeah i, I was like oh that that's really pretty cool you know in this they it was kind of beset with with sexism because it started in the 60s of the of women being in space um the first female astronaut was a russian woman um and valentina tarkashov something like that yeah it starts it starts with a t i mm -hmm. know that um and i think there's been 60 female astronauts um that have gone to space so far the number might be higher. Um, but it doesn't seem like microgravity seems to be an, an issue at all for um, periods. There, there isn't a whole lot of data on it. And honestly, if I were in space, I would suppress my cycle as well. I mean, that would just be easier, Yeah, I would think. I would assume that it would be easier as well, and I would do the same thing. Yeah. Um, but NASA has come out to say it's not an issue. I have a link to um, a uh, video um, that is this space toilet um, that they use in the trainer. Um, and it's actually really, it looks, it's come a long way from pooping in a plastic bag that you have to take to your butt, thank goodness. <laughs> There's like dry wipes and wet wipes and, you know, all manner of things to make sure that you're clean and there's not poop floating around in your tin can that you're up in space in. So yes, when you look up in the sky and you see a shooting star and might just be poop re-entering the atmosphere. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> yeah. I I talk about reuse. You're, you're generating a wish from your frozen space poop. <laughs> Make a wish on poop. <laughs> yeah oh man that's great i have been curious about that subject since i got involved in waste disposal and i am so glad you did that today yeah the it's amazing to me that like you were just pooping in a plastic bag for a while that you had to tape to your butt <laughs> it hurts so bad to remove I mean, I mean, I'm thinking that like a lot of the early astronauts, I, all of the early astronauts were men. So like men don't really shave their butts. Right. So I'm just imagining how <laughs> that would be. Yep. And they have to take off all of their clothes. Cause I mean, you don't want to get any feces on your suit or anything. God, so what you're a pain. Naked, you're naked pooping in a plastic bag in space. I mean, I think, I think astronauts need kudos for that. Oh that's yeah. Pretty, like that's, that's pretty undignified and that's pretty good. That is the epitome of vulnerability right there. Yes. 
man. No, I, thank you, astronauts, for putting up with all the indignities of going to space. Mm-hmm. To poop in a bag. I do know that uh, early cosmonaut programs that involve dogs would only use female dogs because they knew that the female dogs could urinate standing up without having to lift their legs. Uh-huh. And I think they just put them in diapers. But oh, I, think, yeah. I think it's interesting that they had enough foresight to think, oh, these, these little mutt street dogs are definitely going to pee. Yeah. Let's take care of that. But then it, it wasn't, I, maybe it was assumed that humans could control themselves and dogs were just going to pee. But well, I think, for nine I think hours, it, it's, that's too much. I think it was that like the, the mission was only going to take two hours, the original ones. And they were like, he can hold it for two hours. But they didn't really think about all the stuff that comes before that. Like he mm-hmm. was sitting in that, in, that, uh, uh, in that ship for seven hours before that. That's a lot of time. Yeah, like, I'm surprised you didn't pee before that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Instead of being like, man, guys, I really got to pee. <laughs> or, just, or just doing it out of spite for the lack of forethought and then being like, so here's the deal. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Thank you for doing that subject, Sarah. Well, I've, I've always been curious, too. And we were talking about going, well, I said something about, would you go to Mars? And you're like, nope. But you <laughs> so, would. But I would. Um, so they have said that um, there is a new thing, and I don't know how serious this is, about manned missions to Mars using the poop um, to shield, like, um, insulation to shield the, um, spaceship from radiation, like reusing the poop for that, like using the poop bags and reusing it. I think that is a really fascinating idea. Yeah. I want to know more. Yeah. So I just saw like a very brief mention of that and it was like how poop how poop could save people on a mission to Mars. And I'm like, yay, poop. <laughs> it's real useful. Also real dangerous. So it's, it's, it's both a very good idea because you're going to generate it anyway. And also to get it away from your human population on your spaceship. So people don't end up with Giardia or typhus. Yes, it is not good for you. You don't want to be around poop. It's like all the stuff that your body says, no, I don't need that anymore should probably not have it like dead viruses and then not to mention all the stuff that like goes to live in poop yeah and has a whale of a time (laughs) so i i have a vampire fact because we talked uh, we talk about vampires um so you know garlic was was used they they said that garlic was good for um getting rid of vampires. Mm -hmm. And so um, this is back over 2000 years ago. And so garlic was believed um, to be a gift from God by various, um, by various um, ancient peoples, which is interesting. And so um, sailors and um, soldiers would keep it on them for luck and for courage um, German miners would keep it on them for evil spirits and brides used to carry garlic under their clothes for protection. Um, so garlic was believed to, cl- 
to protect people from illnesses as well as be a vampire repellent. So I'm like, what about, what about garlic supposedly gets rid of vampires? And so the oil in garlic is an antibiotic. Uh So I feel like this goes along with what we've talked about before with people who were believed to be vampires were really just sick, often with consumption. So maybe it's the medicinal aspect of garlic, but it also believed to be a gift from the gods and um, to ward off evil spirits. I feel like that is why garlic is still regarded as, as, as a vampire repellent. I could see that. And it's also, I bet it helps with the sort of coughing and congestion of tuberculosis, at least short term. Yes. That was my guess. That's good to know. Or interesting to know, I guess. Man, vampire lore is so stupid. (laughs) I love learning about it because it's all so ridiculous, but it is, it is so ridiculous. I, I I don't really understand it because I feel like I feel like if I knew a person that I believe to be a vampire, I would assume that they're very ill and I would be like, you need to you need help mm-hmm. instead of like thinking like that they I need to wear garlic on my underclothes and like protect from them. But it's a very different time. It was very, a very different, different time. time. Yeah. And belief in evil spirits was a thing because understanding of of science was not that big deal i don't know that it's as fun as the throwing seeds on the ground yeah that one is hilarious but i I didn't know why garlic was a repellent i you know i know it's mentioned in bram stoker's dracula but it's never really explained so i had no idea why and now i know i think it's because it was an, an an early antibiotic yeah it's also delicious it is very delicious. I'm hoping to I like when you put it in. There. Oh, it's so easy. Yeah. Um, I love to put it in the little pot that you get um, at Estate Sales, by the way. They always have one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they always have one to grow, to um, bake your garlic in. You put mm. it in there and you brush it with oil and put salt and pepper on it and then put it in the oven. It's so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you can basically spread it like butter onto um, bread. It's really good on rosemary sourdough. Oh, yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm going to go do that right now, go roast some garlic. <laughs> that sounds amazing. You totally should, and the vampires won't come. Actually, that is my, I have a reuse. Well, it's really more of a reduce slash use suggestion for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's for things like flax seeds or chia seeds, or wheat berries, if you have wheat berries that have gone rancid, so they smell a little rancid and you don't want to eat them, you can actually sprout them and then plant them in your yard or your garden. So yes. it's it's basically kitchen waste that can then go to use being an increase in biotic diversity in your yard. Yes. Because uh, chia is just the chia pet seeds that we now all eat in our fancy hippie food Chia, yeah exactly <laughs> and then i've noticed that flax seeds tend to go rancid pretty quickly that's been my experience maybe we just get old ones uh i'm currently sprouting 
some flax seeds. I've just got a paper towel that I wet and then I put it in an old sandwich bag. So you can reuse sandwich bags to do this too. And then I actually just put it with a magnet on my fridge to sprout. So it's not floating around on my counter, getting in the way when I'm trying to do things. Mm -hmm. And then in a few days when they start growing little roots and things, you can go ahead and plant them. I'm sure I'm doing this too early in the year, but I just want to plant something. Yeah. So that's so my they are microgreens like you can put them in a little pot and just and just sprout them like that and eat them early mm -hmm. you can just give them a little haircut and eat them like that yeah i should get into that i wanted to get a beta tank beta beta <gasps> it doesn't matter with a little aquaponics on top and then grow microgreens they're on sale now i think at lowe's Ooh. <laughs> the microgreens or the fish the fish, not the fish, the, the tank with the little thing on top. Ooh. It was all the rage for Christmas, and now, you know, like, it's not Christmas, so I think it's for sale. So, yeah, that's the reuse idea and the vampire oh, fact. Thank you for the vampire fact. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs>